The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Thank you for joining me again at Beside Still Waters. Today we're going to be discussing the word and the thorns. The word and the thorns. As you know, and as we've been uh, having conversations about the sower who went forth to sow and some fell by the wayside, that is seeds, and some fell on rocky places. And uh, now we are considering the seed that fell among thorny grounds, thorn bushes. And what we're going to be looking at are three stages, essentially. The, the seed stage, uh, initially what happens when uh, that seed falls in the midst of thorns and the, the uh, germinating process begins. And then the sprouting stage, you know, what happens after that seed has broken open, it's, it's attempting to push a root down, it's pushing up a little sprig, and from the outside we can see that something is really happening on the inside. And then lastly, we will uh, talk a little bit about fruitlessness in the life of Christians, fruitlessness. And so... Um, Primarily in in Luke chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13, uh, each writer talks about uh, the seed, the word of God, as it fell among uh, a patch of ground where it was filled with thorns. And Luke says, and other fell in the midst of the thorns and having sprung up with it. So uh, the thorns and the word of God uh, taking root in the believer's life, uh, started that process together. And Mark, of course, said that some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up. So Luke says it sprung up with the thorns. Uh, Mark says it grew up. And, um, of course, Matthew simply says that some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up. And, of course, they all record the fact that the thorns choked the word of God. So uh, in the first case, in Luke's case, or in Luke's writing, uh, he's talking about growing up in unison. They're growing up together. And there's some thoughts I, I want to share with you about that. Uh, Luke's uh, capturing of that event clearly indicates that the seed was not the priority. The seeds sprang up together with the thorns. Uh, for example, if you, you don't have to turn to it, but in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, uh, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, uh, indicated that we, were we believers, were united together with our Lord Jesus Christ in death. There was a unison without prioritization. Okay? The Lord Jesus on the cross, dying the death, for the guilty sinner, uh, 
but we too were crucified with him. God executing that uh, event equally for both parties. Exclusivity is absent, and that's the point I really want to uh, emphasize here. There is no exclusivity. So the, the seed, the word of God, sprang up with the thorns, and the seed was not distinguished. Not only that, there's a measure of carelessness. Okay, carelessness prevailed in the person's attitude and mindset regarding the seed. The fact that both were allowed to grow together without attention given to their distinctives and their needs as plants was clearly identified. In fact, the, um, the uh, Greek term is just that. It was unattended ground. I don't want to say fallow ground because it simply was allowed to grow as is. There was a, a measure of carelessness, no exclusivity, and then the end result is to be noted, according to Luke. He says the thorns suffocated the seed, the word of God, the effect. It overwhelmed it with its growth. It overwhelmed it with its growth. The, uh, the uh, original language uses uh, a term that simply means it drowned it. It drowned the word of God. And so the failure to assign exclusivity to the word of God in the life of a believer relegates it as having equal import among other loves, other priorities, and thus resigning it to one fate, one outcome, fruitlessness. Now, what's interesting is uh, Luke never mentions the point of fruitlessness. Why? Because from Luke's standpoint, the process was thwarted the minute that person gave equal priority to the other loves in their lives, as well as the word of God. Now, Mark takes a slightly different approach because Mark said, as I mentioned before, that some of the seeds of the word of God fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. Now, the term that is used, and, and you know, this is not a, a, a Greek study course, so I'm just going to save you the... Uh, the, the painful information, but just you, you could you know, do a study on your own and learn these things. But the thorns grew up. They ascended above. And, and that's the meaning of the term. The original term thorns grew up simply means that the thorn, the thorn bushes ascended above the growth of the word of God in the life of the believer. The thorns had a progressive life of their own. They had an earlier start, obviously, compared to the seed's beginning. But the growth of the word of God, of the seed, was hindered by an ongoing thorn growth, which was far more prolific. 
For example, when, when uh, in the scriptures, in, in Romans 10 and verse 6, when Paul asking, who shall ascend into the heavens? Okay, uh, so as to bring God down. Uh, the, that whole that term of ascending into the heavens suggests to go far beyond where we are at the moment. Okay, far beyond, and and so, uh, and and a similar thought is uh, when our Lord Jesus was uh, risen from the dead, and I believe it was Mary who 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 recognized him at the tomb after his resurrection. And he said to her, touch me not for I have not yet ascended to my father and to your father. Well, that, that term, I have not yet ascended, connotes a, 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 a movement far beyond where she was on the earth, high above. And this is what the thorn bushes began to do. They ascended far beyond the growth of the word of God, of the seed of the word of God. So now we come to a second result. And that is, the thorn bush grew up, ascended above, and choked the growth, the effect of the word of God. It strangled it. It strangled it. And so we come to a, a second major conclusion in, in, in this conversation, and that is competing priorities for pleasure, wealth, and other anxieties and cares have a suffocating effect on the word of God in the life of a believer. It robs the devotee of opportunities for growth, ministering growth. Why? Because the word of God is of lower priority in that person's life. The end result is that that person's life becomes barren as to any heavenly, spirit-led growth, evidence, and ministry. And so Matthew reiterates a, a similar thought again that the, the, uh, the thorns ascended above the growth. It captures the sunlight. It captures the resources in the soil. And the net result is it will drown. It will suffocate the word of God. And the life lessons are going to be interesting as we go on in our conversation. So that leads us to the, what I consider to be the sprouting stage. Remember, the seed was deemed to be on par with other priorities, other loves, other cares, riches. And the thorns were already further along in their growth. And, you know, if you've ever been in, in, um, in um, climates where thorn bushes grow prolifically, I, I grew up in the uh, Caribbean, and um, we had a few thorn bush bushes, smaller ones in our yard, and there were some just across the street from, from our home. And one of the most interesting uh, characteristics is that most thorn bushes have really attractive, delicate blossoms. 
Some are very colorful. Some have colorful uh, berries. So there's an appeal to the eye when you look at it. In fact, we had a, a very, um, it's, I think it's called a crown of thorns, thorn bush. But it, it's, it's fairly low, probably never growing above the knee. And it had just a lovely crimson flower. It was the prettiest thing. But what we find is that thorns are, are thorn bushes are highly adaptable to almost any environment. And they grow rapidly. And not only that, but some thorn bushes that I've seen growing up, they will leverage uh, other plants for support. They'll grow over them. And depending on how, how sturdy the other plants are, they will uh, grow onto them and lend their weight on these other plants and then continue to grow upwards. So they really do have uh, the ability to ascend above uh, other plants and they grow uh, fairly rapidly in their width. And so the delicate nature of the heavenly seed, the word of God, is no rival for this highly adaptable difficult to control and certainly painful to control, aggressively growing plant. A plant that very often has beautiful flowers, but it also consumes the resources of the plants growing around it. And very often in, in, in a Caribbean culture, you'll find that where there are thorn bushes, there are not many other bushes growing because they will drink up the resources and starve the other plants. They are really aggressive plants to grow. And so the, the writers who captured the teachings of our Lord Jesus concerning the seed that fell among the thorns really captured accurately the effect on the word of God in the life of a potential devotee who is distracted as we will see later on, by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. They are all on par, on equal priority, or afforded equal priority. And certainly there was a measure of carelessness, but no exclusivity given to the word of God. And so the Christian who lays claim to the kingdom of God, the blessings of union with our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life, and places that objective on equal par with equal value to other loves in their lives, mingling the word of God amidst these competing loves, will find their Christian life starved of evidence of growth and Christ-likeness. Our Lord Jesus in John 17 and 17 uh, spoke of the word of God uh, being the means by which the people of God would be sanctified, separated, that their lives would, would display a measure of exclusivity with respect to holiness. And he said, the Lord Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17, uh, asked the Father to sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. And so the failure to nurture the heart's attention 
and application to truth renders the mind, the soul, the spirit impervious to the transforming power of the living word of God. The disciple finds that there is no relish in their life, no enjoyment of the presence of God, of the word of God. The thorns grew up and did what? Choked it. It suffocated it. And sometimes believers wonder why there's no relish for spiritual things. But when the life is examined, you'll find that the, the cares of this life, the things that, the circumstances that demands the, the attention, the pleasures that compete equally for the heart's affections, the pursuit of riches as an object of itself is placed on par with spiritual growth only to find that the nurturing that a spiritual life needs has been robbed of its resources. The weight of the demands of worldliness imposes on the life of devotion a certain pressure to yield to it. You know, keep in mind, Satan offered the Lord Jesus all the glory of the kingdoms for one moment of worship. But this was, uh, if you will, categorized in the annals of Scripture as a temptation. He attempted to lure the Son of God, if that were possible, but it was not because he was God. There was no response in his being to anything that is considered sinful, dark. But he still attempted to tempt him. And so too the disciple, distracted by the cares, riches, and pleasures of the cosmos. And so it is difficult for the disciple to focus on a life of devotion to God because these cares and riches and pleasures uh, consume the resources of body, mind, spirit, and soul, and they grow in importance over time. And so one of the, 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 the third major conclusion is that the life of walking with God, the abiding life, is robbed of its luster, its growth, its needful nurturing in its initial development. The spiritual life becomes anorexic in its ability to offer the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Christian becomes malnourished for good and benefit of the word of God and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God. They become malnourished. The resources needed, the heart affections that would be garrisoned, have been siphoned away by these competing loves. And not only have they been siphoned away, but they've been misapplied because the devotional life has been left idle, unattended. As we mentioned earlier, that one of the uh, writers 
Uh, Mark, I think it was, said that the thorns grew up. Okay, they ascended above. But uh, Luke was the one that highlighted the fact that there was a measure of carelessness. The Greek term, sunfuo, means that it was left unattended. The spiritual life left to itself just doesn't happen. And a lot of Christians make this grave error. They assume, well, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and, you know, I attend a local church. But there's no effort and discipline uh, effected into spending time intimately with God and his word. Talking with God, the, the time spent in prayer, vital to God and vital to the Christian. But the spiritual life has to be nurtured. It has to be nurtured. But very often, some Christians are distracted and their spiritual life becomes anemic and bankrupt of the evidence and working of the Holy Spirit of God. We will learn when we come to the good ground that there is a need to focus with devotion on nurturing a walk with God. It requires discipline, focus, attention. And so now we come to the uh, third aspect of, of our conversation, and that is fruitlessness in the life, in the, uh, life of the Christian. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, uh, we are told that uh, when the seed fell uh, where the thorns were, that the person went forth and they were choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Now, what happens in, in each of the, uh, the um, uh, gospel writers' uh, exposition of what Jesus was teaching, we are looking at the lives of people. The lives of people, disciples, people who have identified themselves with the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, those people, their lives were such that having embraced the word of God, they now went forth to live their lives, but the devotional life was choked. It was suffocated with the pursuit of riches and pleasures that are associated with this life, this cosmos. And, and Luke said they brought no fruit to perfection. There was no maturation in the life of that Christian. And so the hearer, having embraced the word of God, just simply went on to live their lives with no prioritization of the word of God they have multifaceted loves in their lives. It filled their lives. And the loves and these pursuits that were placed, placed on equal par with spiritual objectives had but one result. It consumed them. And it consumed whatever little energies were needed to nurture a spiritual life. Secondly, this happened in a relatively short time. 
And so what we have to be mindful of is that these loves draw the attention, draw the affections, and provide immediate rewards to the senses. And this immediate reward becomes a strong motivating factor drawing upon the soul and the spirit for more, more resources to do what? <laughs> to reward the senses, all at the expense of nurturing the spiritual life. It is a drowning, a suffocating effect on one's walk with God. My friends, this bears repeating. This thought bears repeating, and I want you to think about this. Just as in nature the growth of a thorn bush is aggressive, when the word of God is taught and presented to the disciple, if he or she has placed on equal par pursuits in this life, placed on equal par, that's important, my career aspirations are important, but if they are placed on equal par with one's spiritual life and development, my financial goals placed on equal par with my spiritual life and development, my care and concern for what I shall eat and what I, sh what I shall drink placed on equal par with my spiritual development, what you and I will find is that these uh, uh, pursuits will grow in such importance in such a relatively short period of time that they will simply crowd out any time, any energy, any resource that would be devoted for nurturing a walk with God you will be found to have a form of godliness, as the scripture said, but a life devoid of power and influence. You say to yourself, well, you know, what are these distracting elements? Well, cares could be a variety of things. Simply distractions, anxiety-causing events. It might be social causes that I've devoted myself to. It might be politics. It might be sports. It might be health-related matters. You know, sometimes a lot of people spend an inordinate amount of time in a gym or running or whatever, a, a, a physical pursuit, but it consumes time. Riches are just what they are. Okay? Mark refers to it as the, the, the deceitfulness of riches. The quest for abundance. Pleasures, sensual delights. You know, Titus 3 mentions that. Refers to, uh, uh, you know, people who serve various desires, pleasures. And then we end up becoming slaves to do service in satisfying them. And so these longings, these, these uh, sensual pursuits simply consume the time and energy of the believer, all at the expense of developing a spiritual life. And the end result, according to Luke's uh, exposition of this, is that they bring forth no fruit to perfection. There's no evidence in the life of that believer 
that they even are Christians. None whatsoever. No evidence. You couldn't discern who they are. And they do, in fact, have a form of godliness. Well, they'll say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. But when the life is examined, there's no distinctive evidence that they are. And so the, the uh, neglect to nurture a walk with God while simultaneously allowing sensual material distractions to consume the soul and the spirit's affections causes the Christian to become void of any evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and his power. And so the question then arises, is this person a Christian? Are they really a little Christ? And the answer that is screaming in the cosmos is, where are the proofs? You know, sometimes we ask ourselves, is that person a Christian? Then I ask you, where's the evidence? Where's the fruitage? A barren life is a clear indicator that the presence and power of the Spirit of God is absent. You know, Jude uh, 1 even mentions that at the end of days, there would be those who would set themselves apart and walk after their own lusts, whose life looks nothing like that resembling the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's presence, power, evidence, fruitage is absent from their life. Completely absent. But what I love, and, and though this is a, a difficult subject to address because a lot of people will look at the life of this person and say they've got to be a Christian. But then there's no evidence of it, no proof of it. And so Peter, in his second letter, lays before us a contrast of fruitlessness, or I should say fruitfulness, versus barrenness. And uh, what Peter goes on to write concerning God's divine power, uh, he says in, in the first chapter of his second letter, that his divine power has given to us all things which relate to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, through which he has given unto us the great and precious promises, that by these promises you might be partakers of God's divine nature. But this is what he goes on to say. He says, For this very reason, using all diligence in your faith, add virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, temperance or self-control. To self-control, endurance. To endurance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly love. In brotherly love, add agape. And this is the key thought. These things existing and abounding in you make you to be neither idle nor unfruitful as regards the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the warning. Here's the, the, the uh, fruitlessness, the cause of it. 
He says, For he with whom these things are not present is blind, short-sighted, and has forgotten the purging of his former sins. So the first thought is, if these things are existing in our lives and abounding, it will make us to be neither idle nor unfruitful. And that's the key thought. When these graces are present, we will never be a barren patch of land with the word of God never having borne fruit. And so life, godliness, that is Christ-likeness, glory, virtue, are available to every Christian. And the only way that we can escape the corruption that is existing in the cosmos, the destruction, the moral decay, the perishable nature that permeates the cosmos, is for the devotee to focus, to be attentive to adding to their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, virtue and knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly love, these graces existing and abounding will cause that we will never be fruitless. So the cause of uh, fruitlessness, the cause of fruitlessness is a failure to walk with God by nurturing a life of devotion. Secondly, fruitlessness is caused by pursuing and satiating oneself with, very often, forbidden desires and sensual pursuits which simply cause the destruction of the devotional life. There is no supplying of grace. There is a choking of the spiritual life, a suffocating of it. But when we think about this, when we think about moral goodness, virtue, that's what virtue is, knowledge, and understandings of the teachings of our Lord Jesus and the apostles, temperance, Mastery of our desires, our passions, our sensual appetites. Fasting would certainly be a great discipline for the Christian to gain control of, of intemperance. Peter writes about endurance, the, the constancy in our walk and our love for God, even under great trial, godliness. Holiness through and through. Holiness, without which no man will see God. In fact, Peter wrote in his first letter that God, if we invoke as Father, if we call on God as Father, He who without regard of persons judges according to the work of each past the time of our sojourn in reference. He's called us to holiness. Brotherly love, love for the brethren, a cherishing friendship, a togetherness. And then lastly, agape, unconditional love. These things existing and abounding in you make you to be neither barren nor unfruitful. You will not be inactive. You won't be lazy. <laughs> you won't be unfruitful. 
you will be a fruitful Christian. So a quick recap of some of the conclusions that we have drawn. And I want you to think about this. The fact of the word of God falling among the thorns, an unprioritized life, a carelessness, not giving exclusivity to the word of God results in the spiritual life being suffocated. So, roughly four thoughts to keep central in your heart. The failure to assign exclusivity to the word of God and relegating it to be uh, on par with and having the same import as other loves will always result in fruitlessness. Secondly, these loves, cares, riches, pleasures, satiating of our sensual appetites, these competing priorities for pleasure and wealth have a suffocating effect on the spiritual life, robbing us of opportunities for growth, for evidencing of the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Word of God has been given a lower priority, lower in the sense that it has been placed on par with these loves. Therefore, draining our resources that are so needful for developing and nurturing a spiritual life. Thirdly, the delicate nature of a devoted walk with God is no rival for the aggressive growth of these pleasures. They will consume the life of the Christian and quickly so, not a matter of years, in a matter of months. Why? As the thorn bush grows aggressively, so too these cares, riches, and pleasures consume the life. In fact, if you recall the rich young ruler who came to our Lord Jesus Christ and asked, what might, you know, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord Jesus said, because he was wealthy, go and sell all that he has, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And this young man, I repeat, young man, not an old man, a young man <laughs> went away sorrowful. It didn't take it, didn't take long for his, his riches to consume his young life. And so the devotional life, the life devoted to walking with God, but beside still waters, as is often our, our watchword. This devoted life is a delicate plant that requires nurturing, nurturing, careful nurturing. The life of devotion, if you want to call it the abiding life, is robbed of its luster, its growth, its development, resulting in, in an anorexic type of spiritual life that has no ability to offer good to others. The succulent graces of the Spirit of God are absent and people are not blessed by our lives because we are malnourished before God. And the resources needed 
the heart affections that should be nerved and strengthened have been siphoned of their ability and strength and given over to other loves, misapplied, if you will, to other loves, leaving the spiritual life bankrupt of the evidence and working of the Spirit of God. But Peter says, concerning virtue, that is moral goodness, knowledge, and ability to understand the teachings of the apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ, temperance, that, that needed mastery of, of the desires and passions, endurance, the ability to withstand and stay under trial, yet remaining constant and faithful in our walk with God, godliness, evidencing holiness, a distinction in our lives, a separation, a light, a saltiness, brotherly love among the brethren, a certain constancy. He says, these things existing and abounding in you. Oh, my friend, I want to appeal to you today that as we walk with God beside still waters, that we appeal to the living God to work in us by his spirit and by his word to cause these things, virtue, knowledge, temperance, endurance, godliness, brotherly love, agape, that he would cause these things not only to exist, but to grow in our lives and to make us fruitful, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us, to the glory of God. You know, in, in, in just a closing thought in, in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, uh, Paul could write concerning our Lord Jesus that uh, he exhorted the Christians at Ephesus to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, even as Christ loved us and delivered himself up for us. But here's the key, an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet aroma. The purpose of his life was to satisfy the Father with an aromatic life of devotion and obedience. But look at the corresponding effect of that life lived by our Lord Jesus Christ. We became the beneficiaries of that devoted life. He says he delivered himself up for us, a sacrifice to God, delivered for us, a sacrifice to God. His affections were to please the Father, and in that obedience, we became the beneficiaries of that obedience. So too, my friend, oh, may God help us as we walk with him beside still waters, that our lives may be an aromatic fragrance in the presence of God, and that those around us may experience great blessing and refreshing Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, 
please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.